Hey, it's y'all, and we're to the Wednesday portion of the week. Congratulations. We can almost see the finish line. Well, you might be able to see the finish line for the week, but we're just getting started on this Wednesday, y'all. I'm John Rawl, the general of all things Southern. That's right. General John Rawl, CSA, certified Southern American, and it's darn good to be with you. Some places waking up here on this Wednesday morning, you were a little bit cool. You had to put on an extra layer of clothing out there, and as we warm up throughout the day, you will be shedding that like a, like a darn snake. And I don't know about you, I'm seeing more and more snake stories. I haven't really broken into those here in our headlines across the southeast, but a, a couple of those I've been reading about, and yeah, it's, uh, it's snake time. I think I saw my first one dead on the highway as i traveled the highways and byways of the southland this past weekend but yeah hey it's springtime in the southeast and you know here on today's show we got a great show lined up if you want to be part of it 803-816-1170 is the way to get connected to y'all that's a number you can both call or text 24 7 803-816-1170 our email inbox is mail at M-A-I-L, not M-A-L-E, but M-A-I-L, mail at y'all, Y-A-L-L dot com, mail at y'all dot com. Want to hear from you. If you got something you need to pass along or tell us about or give us a compliment or give us some criticism, we take it all right here on y'all. We've got headlines coming up from across the southeast here on today's y'all show. The big story breaking on Tuesday, gas prices, gas shortages, and more. We've got that covered here in a sec give you the latest of what we know about the Colonial Pipeline as it's been shut down and it is drastically affecting people in most of the southeast here with either a shortage of gas or a, an increase in gas prices. And all that is coming up. And if that weren't bad enough, speaking of transportation, one of the busiest bridges in the south has been shut down as crews inspect a crack in the structure of the Hernando de Soto Bridge at Memphis. This is the Interstate 40 bridge right at downtown, taking you across the Mississippi River over into West Memphis, Arkansas. One of the key bridges, frankly, in our our country's transportation circuit, if you will. And I know FedEx has already come out, based in Memphis, they've already come out with a statement saying that this is likely to affect deliveries across the entire world. But the I-40 bridge at Memphis, shut down right now, will give you the latest of what we know on that brett farb he better pay up he owes six hundred thousand dollars evidently to the state of mississippi and they're wanting their money in jackson so we'll tell you about that here in our headlines from across the nation and south here maybe you woke up here today watching dollywood as it was broadcast on good morning america we'll tell you how that came to be and also speaking of morning tv shows we've got the new lineup of the Today's Summer Concert Series. And a country music singer from Oklahoma will be kicking off that thing in a couple of days. So we'll let you know about that. Plus, a power couple in politics are moving out of Louisiana, moving out of New Orleans, and they're headed to Mississippi? Why? How? And then lastly, as we go through our headlines today on the Y'all Show, the beautiful red, white, and blue flag of the Sovereign state of Tennessee flew high and proud over a capital this week, but it wasn't the one in Nashville. It was actually in a different state. 
how is it, how could a state flag of a different state fly over one other state's state capital? We'll explain in our headlines as we go through that here today on the Y'all Show. We also have coming up in this hour some sports news. The latest with the NBA we'll share with you as the season there is winding down. And we also have coming up in this first hour, our ACC insider Jonathan Lifite will be on to tell us all about ACC baseball. Plus, we'll talk about the Virginia Cavaliers 2021 schedule, what Jonathan thinks of what Bronco Mendehalt, the coach of the Cavs, and the Who's have in store for 2021. All of what's going on in Charlottesville, we'll tell you in our ACC report. Plus, just for fun, an outlet has come out with the top burger joints in each one of the college towns across the nation, all the big Power 5 schools. And we'll go through the ACC's representatives in this list when Jonathan stops by later of Hour 1. Also, this hour, we've got a Southern accent from Kobe Bennett on the culture of the South. All that here, Hour 1. Hour 2 today, we're going to have our business report, more headlines, and speaking of business, there's actually a Southern icon in terms of music, but really throughout the entire South, the Grand Ole Opry. And it's going to open back up to 100% capacity this weekend and in honor of the grand Ole opera i'm gonna play an hour two something that i saw over the weekend from the opry that just made me feel really good and it includes a song and it includes maybe the biggest country music hit maker and and certainly the trendsetter of country music that we've seen and he kind of showed up on the opera stage this past weekend to honor Yours truly's favorite country music singer, as he celebrated his 25th anniversary of being a Grand Ole Opry member. But this is really a tribute not only to two of these great singers, while I'm going to play a song in hour two from the Grand Ole Opry from this past weekend. It's a real, real salute to the Opry staying in business all this last uh, 13, 14 months. They would play often to Empty House there on uh, off of Briley Parkway in Nashville. And the Opry back to 100% capacity this weekend. We'll tell you about that. Also, we've got a book report, the latest trends and books, and who's atop the New York Times bestseller list. We'll have that hour two. Hour three today, it'll be yours truly alone for the closing argument. We've got to look more at sports going on across the region. And then it is graduation time, and I'm going to tell you some of the noteworthy commencement speakers of college and university speakers around the country but also, my goodness, story comes out here this week about the University of South Carolina's president, Bob Caslin. He's in a lot of hot water. In fact, he offered his resignation because of his commencement address to the University of South Carolina. And he, he, he pretty much plagiarized. And I'll tell you about it. How could a college president plagiarize? Well, this guy did it, and he did it in front of an audience that figured it out. And it's almost impossible to believe but we'll tell you what happened in columbia south carolina with that hour number three as we have like i said a full show lined up looking forward to serving you as your y'all show host here today all right let's get into what's going on and of course the big news is the gasoline shortage and gas stations around the country but mostly here in the south and along the eastern seaboard running out of gas all after this ransomware attack over the weekend on Colonial Pipeline, the pipeline that runs from Texas all the way up toward New York State. 
and we started seeing big time on Tuesday people panicking, frankly, and states of emergency declared in places like Florida and more. And S&P's oil price information service put the number of gas stations encouraging or encountering shortages more than 1,000 on Tuesday. And in Virginia, 7.7% of the state's nearly 3,900 gas stations reported running out of fuel Tuesday. That, according to GasBuddy.com, North Carolina had 8.5% of almost 5,400 stations out of gasoline on Tuesday. Now, you don't just have to be on the path of where this pipeline goes to feel the effects because the tentacles and the offshoots of those pipelines really go throughout the entire south, to be honest with you. And then the, the lack of fuel makes all of oil's prices go up around the entire country. So right now, it's very touch and go. The Transportation Department relaxing some workforce requirements and enlisting railroads to deliver fuel inland. The EPA lifted some fuel quality requirements on an emergency basis. The White House is considering temporarily waiving a law that says that says ships delivering products between U.S. ports must be built and manned by Americans. Another update, this from Georgia. Brian Kemp suspended state taxes on motor fuels through this Saturday. Georgia collects a gasoline tax of 28.7 cents per gallon and a diesel tax of 32.2 cents per gallon. Kemp said it will probably help level the price at the pump off for a little while. So, yeah, we are definitely seeing prices go up as this pipeline shut down after a ransomware attack. They say that it came likely from Russia or somewhere in Eastern Europe as they're essentially blackmailing Colonial Pipeline to try to get money out of them. If that is what you want to believe, I know a lot of conspiracy theorists out there would likely say it's something else going on. But, yeah, it's it's not a very pretty sight if you have to wait in line and try to get you some gas. The question is, when will all this be restored, the Colonial Pipeline shutdown? And the pipeline said that parts of the system are being brought back online, and they hope to restore service Colonial Pipeline by the end of the week. But with this system and this pipeline stretching across so many states, it could be quite some time. As Colonial Pipeline's network ships more than 2.5 million barrels per day of gasoline, diesel, and jet fuel to customers throughout the entire eastern portion of the country, and that's about 45% of all fuel consumed on the east coast. Yeah, AAA's gas price average for just Alabama on Tuesday stood at 2.98, so $2.98, and that's up from two ninety-six to up two cents, and that's just one example of one of our southern states and the direct impact this is having on prices and supply and more. We can only hope it gets fixed sooner than later, the Colonial Pipeline, a story right now that uh, it's it's rough out there. Two deputies in the state of Texas have been killed and a city worker wounded in an attack. We go to the Lone Star State for this developing story there, but sadly, two members of law enforcement, deputies in Texas, killed this week. And uh, another example of the uh, the kind of courage law enforcement, they have to put on display every time they walk out the door and put on that badge. And this happened in Eden, Texas. A man shot two of these West Texas sheriff's deputies dead 
and wounded an employee answering a dog complaint. And this happened Monday night in Eden, which is about 1,300 people, 210 miles southwest of Dallas. A 28-year-old man booked into the Tom Green County Jail in San Angelo with a bond set at $4 million. The two Concho County Sheriff's deputies and a city employee arrived at a home shortly after 8.40 Monday while making contact with people at the residence. An altercation occurred and quickly escalated to gunfire. And these two law enforcement officials, two sheriff's deputies in West Texas, killed, again, over a dog complaint. Our thoughts there into the Lone Star State. A story out of West Virginia. You might remember when this was in the news. A former nursing assistant who killed seven elderly veterans with fatal injections of insulin at a West Virginia hospital has been sentenced to life in prison and a federal judge called her the monster that no one sees coming. Rita Mays had a history of mental health issues and offered no explanation Tuesday for why she killed these men. Again, killing seven elderly veterans. U.S. District Judge Thomas Clee told her, you knew what you were doing before sentencing her to seven consecutive life terms, a punishment that means she'll likely die in prison. The 46-year-old West Virginia woman pleaded guilty last year in federal court to seven counts of second-degree murder murder for intentionally injecting the men with unprescribed insulin while working at Clarksburg, West Virginia's Lewis Lewis A. A. Johnson VA Medical Center. The deaths accumulated during her overnight shifts at the hospital in the years 2017 and 2018. Mays conducted Internet searches on female serial killers and watched the Netflix series Nurses Who Kill – And unfortunately, that could have inspired her to kill, through insulin injections, seven American veterans at VA hospitals in the Virginia and West Virginia area. The men who were accused of killing Ahmaud Aubrey in Brunswick, Georgia, have now pleaded not guilty to federal hate crime charges, as Ahmaud Aubrey was a 25-year-old man chased down and shot after spotted running in a neighborhood there in Brunswick, Georgia. Travis McMichael, his father, Greg McMichael, as well as their neighbor, William Roddy Bryan, entered their not guilty pleas before a U.S. magistrate judge. Justice Department prosecutors said they plan to share the bulk of their evidence with defense attorneys within a week and the rest in the next month, a sign they're moving swiftly, even with state murder charges still pending against the same defendants. Now, a judge in Georgia has set a trial in this state case for against these men for October, and we'll hear pretrial motions here this week. But right now, these guys getting hit with a couple of federal charges, hate crime charges. Again, I've said it, and I'll say it again, there shouldn't even be a such thing as a hate crime charge. These guys killed this person, and likely, who knows the reason, we'll find out maybe when this goes to court, but uh, every crime is a hate crime. I mean, no matter if it's murder or, or you're robbing somebody, it's, it's hate. And there's there's local laws, state laws that affect how these crimes end up getting worked out in court. And the federal government comes in with these new hate crime, federal hate crime charges and tries to usurp all the energy of what should be a solid case of murder, in this case, of Ahmaud Aubrey. And uh, here here we go again with another hate crime being leveled against someone, in this case, these three men in coastal 
Georgia. And then lastly, here in our headlines to start this hour, a sheriff in Tennessee blaming the system after a man in Davidson County has been now arrested 200 times. Larry Brown deemed mentally incompetent after charges for attacking nurses in Nashville. And police charged him twice within a 24-hour period also here recently for public intoxication. And one of the latest incidents of Mr. Brown happened in the parking lot at St. Thomas Midtown Hospital as a nurse was working there and Brown attacked her. And the nurse saying she had trouble sleeping for days. But this guy, Larry Brown, not the basketball coach, but the Nashvilleian, <laughs> in trouble again for attacking some nurses. And this is just the 200th time that he's been arrested in his life. And the Davidson County Sheriff is Darren Hall. And he said, arresting Larry isn't arresting the problem. Hall said that Brown is proof that the system is failing. He said, I believe Larry belongs in a hospital. I do. There's no secret his behavior is not fixable in a criminal justice way. 200 times being arrested. I don't know who would be competing for second place on that one. We have some sports headlines we're going to get to after this break. Hang on. We have an update on some NBA action and where that association stands as the season is quickly coming to a halt in a couple of days, a regular season, and then they'll go off to this play-in type deal. An update on that and so much more. Also, Jonathan Leifite's dropping by in just a little bit with an ACC report. All that right here on Talk With a Southern Accent. This is y'all. Back into y'all on a Wednesday. Hope y'all are doing good. Hey, don't forget, y'all is powered by y'all.com, the official homepage of the South. Go there and see some great interviews, some great video interviews we've got up. And we will have all that up and going with more stuff coming your way. I promise you that. Let's get into some sports news here on this Wednesday. And if you're an NFL fan, well, the hits just keep on a coming. We just had the NFL draft. I thought the NFL did a great job putting that on from Cleveland just two to three weeks ago. And now, here as we get to almost not even to the halfway point of May, the NFL back with the center stage, and it'll be a prime time affair on this Wednesday evening as it's the official NFL schedule release. Nobody quite does it release-wise, schedule release-wise, like the National Football League. 
But yes, this release coming out, but some leaks already. And we can tell you what we know, at least based on what's been reported, of what's going to happen with this 2021 schedule. We know that there will be no Mexico City this year, no game there. That according to The Athletic. For the first time ever, there's going to be a Saturday doubleheader in Week 18. That's the final week of the season. Remember a change this year? There are going to be 17 opponents. There will be 17 regular season games for every NFL franchise. So there's going to be a Week 18 if you mix in the bye week that each team will have playing here in 2021. That is news and something different coming up here this year for the NFL. Another thing to pass along, the Falcons and Jaguars will both be hosting games in London. The question is, and I can't tell you until ESPN and NFL Network broadcast the actual schedule, who are the Falcons and Jaguars playing over across the pond? And the Jaguars returning there, I don't think there's been another NFL team who's played more games in London than the Jaguars. But those two teams playing in London, there will be no Monday night doubleheader in week one. Darn it! I love that. I love that being able to start the NFL new league, the new season with those back-to-back games starting out on Monday night. That's kind of not, not a good thing for those who welcome in the NFL in a big way that first week so that we can tell you about now it looks like we have the entire week one schedule released already so let me tell you what's up there get your pen and paper out if you will on thursday september 9th the defending super bowl champion tampa bay buccaneers welcome in to tampa the dallas cowboys this will be an nbc broadcast on thursday evening september 9th that's the week one kickoff the real kickoff to the 2021 NFL season. Then on Sunday, I'll break down based on the early games and late games for the first week, Sunday, September 12th, Steelers at Bills, Jets, the New York Jets will be, believe it or not, playing the Carolina Panthers. That's Sam Darnold's old team now coming to play him at Bank of America Stadium in an early game on September 12th. You got the Jaguars and their new quarterback. I assume he'll be starting On day one, Trevor Lawrence, the Jags at the Texans. The Arizona Cardinals will be on Music Row taking on the Titans at Nissan Stadium on that first week. The L.A. Chargers at the Washington football team that first week. The Philadelphia Eagles will be taking on Coach Smith and the Atlanta Falcons in week one. That's an early game from the ATL. The Seahawks will be at Indianapolis. Vikings at Bengals. You also have 49ers at Lions. And then you move to the afternoon games. Browns will be at the Chiefs. Dolphins at New England. The Broncos will be taking on the New York football giants. The Green Bay Packers, who we don't know who their quarterback's going to be, but they're going to be taking on the New Orleans Saints, and we don't know who their quarterback's going to be. That ought to be a fun matchup there. And then the nightcap of NFL Week 1 on NBC, SNF, will be the Chicago Bears at the Los Angeles Rams, and that should be the first true football game played at SoFi Stadium, that amazing stadium built there in Inglewood, home of both the Rams and Chargers, and hopefully come September 12th, it will have a full house for the first time ever, as unfortunately to coronavirus, we did not have anybody in the stands for the Rams and Chargers in 2020, so a beautiful sight, I'm sure, to see Chicago, Monsters of the Midway, 
there in Tinseltown to take on the Rams. Then your Monday night game in that first week, the Ravens will be at the Las Vegas Raiders. Another opportunity to show off a full house there in Vegas as they also like the Chargers and the Rams had a beautiful stadium that unveiled in 2020, but nobody was there. That game will be televised ESPN on the 13th of September. The Baltimore Ravens and the Raiders from Sin City. NFL football, can't wait, cannot wait. And kudos for them to get all this stuff out and released, and it'll be a big night. If you want some fun, tune in to the official schedule release. I think it starts around 8 Eastern, 7 Central here on this Wednesday. How about the Oakland Athletics? They're being actually told by the NFL in, in Major League Baseball, you know, A's, y'all might want to start looking to go somewhere else because I don't think Oakland and their authority there, the city, the mayor, are going to be able to come up with a plan as the A's for quite some time have kind of had their eye on Oakland's Howard Terminal to build a new ballpark. The A's have played in Oakland since 1968 and they are looking to maybe get into a waterfront stadium in downtown Oakland. Now, you've already seen Oakland lose the Raiders and also the Golden State Warriors moved across the bay over to San Francisco in the last two years. And I know Oakland as a, a city, the mayor there, Schaff, Schaff I think's her name, uh, has really come under fire. It's a very, very liberal, almost out-of-control city, if, if you ask me. And I don't see how they're going to come up with a way to keep the A's there. In fact, most people are saying it's pretty much uh, likely, if, if you're going to have any scenario, if you're a betting person, oddly enough, talking about Vegas, the A's will most likely end up in Vegas. So you're going to have what was the Oakland Raiders now in Vegas, the Las Vegas Raiders, and you're likely going to have the Oakland Athletics become the Las Vegas Athletics real soon unless something dramatically changes. Now, that's the, the the proposal or what the MLB is proposing is they start getting their act together for a potential move. Oakland, I saw Oakland, Portland, and Vancouver, Vancouver, not Washington, Vancouver, British Columbia as likely scenarios. Nashville would like to have a say in this, perhaps Charlotte, North Carolina with a move of the A's. I'm all for moving the A's back to their original home, Philadelphia. How about that, having the Philadelphia Athletics and, I think, Connie Mack return. That's a blast from the past here on the Y'all Show. Hey, sad news from the college football world. As Colt Brennan, who was the Hawaii Rainbow Warriors quarterback, he's died at the age of 37. As his father told ESPN that his son died on Tuesday at a hospital in Newport Beach, California, the day before paramedics were called to a hotel room where Brennan had been with other people. His father said his son had ingested something laced with fentanyl and never regained consciousness. Now, he had been in a really bad wreck a few years before, and I'm sure that had some role in his um, demise, unfortunately. But Colt Brennan's success as a Hawaii quarterback, 2005 to 2007, passing for more than 4,000 yards three times. He passed for 5,549 yards in the 2006 season. That season, he set the single-season record for touchdown passes with 58. A, a really a flamethrower there for the Hawaii Warriors, and now he's dead at the age of 37. A, a really sad story to report here this week. And who can forget Hawaii's amazing run there when he was quarterback, going all the way to the Sugar Bowl 
Now, the Georgia Bulldogs took care of them in that bowl game. But, yeah, Hawaii and June Jones at the time as the coach, they were quite a story back some 15 years ago. NBA standings, taking a look at who's the leaders. The 76ers, Nets, and Bucks have all clinched playoff berths, as well as Miami. The Heat moving on up. The Atlanta Hawks currently sit up there near the top, but they haven't quite clinched yet with a 38-31 and record, but should be in the driver's seat. The team's really jockeying for position. Celtics, Hornets, Pacers, Wizards. It looks like that the Charlotte Hornets and Pacers both have had the they're, – they're eligible now to be in the play-in. But some teams fighting hard to get a chance to get to that include the Bulls, Wizards, Celtics. That's from the Eastern Conference. Western Conference, Jazz, Suns, Clippers, Nuggets, Mavericks all in. Looks like the Warriors and Memphis Grizzlies – appear to be playoff bound but it might be more of the play-in type deal as the nba winding down i think they only got about eight or nine days left in their season before this play-in the first time they've ever done that occurs next week we're going to go to a break here on the y'all show when we come back our buddy jonathan lifeite is standing by and he's got an acc report that's headed your way what is going on with acc's baseball it's not doing too well in 2021 Plus, the Virginia Cavaliers have an exciting 2021 football season ahead. We'll walk through their schedule, and we'll talk to Jonathan Lifeheight of 24-7 Sports about some of the great burger joints in ACC towns. All that coming up next on The Y'all Show. It's the Y'all Show, talk with a southern accent, and we're here to talk about the Atlantic Coast Conference. It's our ACC update, courtesy of Jonathan Leifite. He is with 24-7 Sports, and he's on with us now on the Y'all Show and the Virginia Cavaliers. Wow, a pretty good football program Coach Mendenhall's got going on in Charlottesville. We're going to talk about the Who's in just a few minutes, and we'll walk through their 2021 schedule. As we are here on the Y'all Show, John Rawl and Jonathan Lifeheight talking ACC football. Yeah, why not? But we've got some ACC baseball to get to as well. Jonathan, good to have you back on the program. Welcome in to the Y'all Show, sir. Thank you very much for having me. It's always good to be on here. So the big question, we talked about it before. What's going on with ACC baseball? Well, a whole lot of parity. I um, mean, outside of Notre Dame, uh, who has kind of uh, st- uh, kind of separated themselves 
um, out in the standings. If you look at how they're doing in the in the Atlantic side, um, everybody else is really, really, really close. Um, Pitt um, slipped uh, into second place. Uh, Georgia Tech moved back into first place on the coastal side. But you've got a bunch of teams that are all uh, within a game of 500 or just over that. Um, it's a ton of parity on the on the coastal side, and that really extends to the Atlantic side um, as well, even beyond uh, Notre Dame. Louisville's maybe got a little bit of distance, but the rest of the teams, everybody's fighting for position. And it, you could see teams that go from from a you know a top position to a bottom position just by losing one or two games. Yeah, and we're going to walk through the ACC representation in the latest poll that's out there from College D1 College Baseball. Or it's d1baseball.com. Lots of polls when you start talking about college baseball. We'll do our best here, thanks to D1 Baseball, with what they have represented for the ranks. And we mentioned the Irish. The, those Yankees boys evidently know how to play a little baseball there in northern Indiana as they have the highest ranking in the ACC, currently number eight. And then you have to go all the way down to Louisville. Louisville currently sitting at 15 in the latest D1 baseball poll. And then rounding out the ACC's representation in D1baseball.com, the FSU Seminoles and Coach Martin check in at number 17. And that is it. Two, what did I say, three teams from the ACC, FSU, Louisville, and Notre Dame are the only ones in this D1baseball.com poll. Yeah, it's really, I mean, you've got a lot of parity, and so that means a lot of teams, just nobody is separated, and they're just not going to get ranked as a result. Haven't got a chance to build a good record because of the lack of midweek games. That uh, the COVID situation really limited the number of midweek games. So um, you're going to see a lot of teams that have kind of you know kind of mediocre records as a result of that. And uh, um, it's just uh, it's just been a, a very very kind of uh, a lot of a lot of similar teams, but uh, no standouts. All right. And you mentioned the Irish. I mentioned the Irish. They are atop the Atlantic side of ACC's college baseball standings, and they are just ahead of that team in the 15th spot, Louisville. Oddly enough, there are three teams in the ACC that are ranked. All three are in the ACC Atlantic division of college baseball. Notre Dame is atop the division, followed by Louisville, Florida State. Then you got NC State, which actually, to their credit, Coach Avent's got a winning record there in Raleigh now, 14-13 and 13 in conference play. Clemson is a little bit uh, weird for them. They're sitting at 500 in conference play, followed by Boston College and Wake Forest. Wake Forest, a dismal 7-19 and 19 in ACC play here in 2021. And when you scoot over to the Coastal, I think several of these teams have a real chance of postseason berth, including the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets and Danny Hall. They're 18-12, and 12, a good turnaround. They were kind of yeah, you could have gone either way there for the Jolton Jackets, but right now they're leading the Coastal Division, followed by Pitt at 16 and 11. The Gobblers of Virginia Tech are 16 and 14. That's the same mark the Miami Hurricanes currently have in the ACC standings. Then you've got Miami, North Carolina, Virginia, and Duke rounding up the Coastal Division of ACC play. So, Jonathan, as we are getting closer and closer, do I think we're going to have an ACC tournament? They always do things in the ACC tournament a little bit different than the rest of the conferences. Have you heard that that's still a go? And also, what is your take on who's going to get a chance to play beyond the ACC tournament? Um, yeah, it's still a go. They're, they're planning to do it. Then, and as you mentioned, the way they usually do it is kind of a pod structure uh, where they, they divide the teams up and seed them. Uh, and then they all play. And then the winner of the pods end up 
uh, kind of meeting for the championship game. And uh, so that that's a little different than kind of classical tournament play that you see uh, with a lot of teams. So there is, there they are doing that. Um, from is a, that by the way, Jonathan? Say, sorry to interrupt. Is that in Durham? Uh, it will be in Durham. Uh, okay. They are planning to to hold it there. It, it will continue to be there. Um, and then uh, uh, from a postseason perspective, obviously Notre Dame, Louisville, Florida State. Tech has been kind of bounced, if you look at some of the bracketology stuff, kind of bouncing between a two and a three seed. Um, you'll probably see, uh, I think, Pitt and maybe one other team. I think I think the ACC will end up with probably six or maybe seven teams at most. I can't see uh, them getting past that. NC State's kind of one of the other teams that, that might be able to, to, to sneak their way in there. But seven teams is probably the most. It could be as little as five, but six. All right. That, again, all that's going on with ACC baseball this time of year. Jonathan, let's move over and talk a little ACC football and news out of Clemson, South Carolina. I don't know if this was a rumor going around about Justin Ross, but he kind of cleared things up. The Clemson wide receiver, unlike just about every other college football player who's right now announcing they're going to go enter the transfer portal and move on to somewhere else, Justin Ross of Tigertown put out on Twitter here the last couple of days. Slow day. I see. I am not transferring that from wide receiver, Justin <laughs> Ross. So what in the world do you know that might've led him to have to clear up that he's not transferring? Well, I mean, rumors like that are always abound. You never know where it kind of emanates from, but uh, Justin Ross, one of the things that's been going on with him is he, 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 uh, he was injured. Um, I don't recall right off the top of the head my, the nature of the injury, but he sat out pretty much uh, 2020 as a result of that, not because of COVID. And there, there's probably still some question about whether or not he'll play in uh, 2021. I think there, the future, his future is still in doubt. I think it's likely he'll play, but um, there's a chance uh, that you could see him, uh, you know, end up not playing, uh, you know, in uh, 2020 uh, due to that injury. So um, I think that's probably part of the reason that we saw that, you know, people talking about whether or not he'll play and somebody probably misheard it, thought, well, that means he's going to transfer. And now, you know, as the old saying goes, uh, you know, the lies, lies travel around the world before the truth can put on its pants. So, hmm. you know, I got to write that one goes. down. Yeah, that's a good one. Hey, I also need to write down the fact that Jonathan's with 24 seven sports.com and y'all are all over everything in terms of college athletics. And, with the advent of the transfer portal, how much more difficult has that made people like you? Is that providing a whole lot more work on people like you, the insiders of college football? Well, yeah, it's one more, um, you know, kind of aspect that you have to kind of look at and, you know, who's transferring, who's staying. And then once somebody hits the transfer portal, you know, where are they going? And then who in the transfer portal is your team interested in? So, um, there's a lot more of that going on. And it, it's gotten to be such a big deal on the number of teams that do it that 24-7 sports actually um, ranks the transfers for, for their potential impact. So they get a rating out of high school, and then they get a rating in the transfer portal. And then you take a look at, you know, which which teams made out best in the transfer portal and you know versus others. And um, it, it's getting to be, uh, you know, a, a part and parcel of what you do and when you cover – uh, college football and college basketball and college baseball. Uh, the NCAA recently, um, you know, issued that ruling where basically uh, student athletes get one freebie 
they can transfer with no penalty. They'll get immediate eligibility, um, you know, uh, granted. And so they get one freebie transfer and that's going to, you know, continue to, to open the door for, you know, kids that maybe they get in there and find, yeah, maybe they're just not quite the right fit for them, or maybe they want more playing time. Now they can go find a place that they, they want to go. And uh, so it's a, it's a, it's a big change in, in college sports. All right. Jonathan Lafayette, 24 seven sports.com is giving us the take on all things ACC on this the Y'all Show, talk with a Southern accent, and go to 24-7 Sports and find out all these transfers and recruiting and more. Jonathan, if you had to kind of sit back and give a add-a-boy or add-a-girl to any of these ACC schools here in this offseason of the coronavirus, who's doing the best in terms of getting players coming in versus those who have them outbound? Um, well, uh, the good news for me is, is one of the teams that's doing really good with, with the inbounds is, is Georgia tech. They are, you know, a lot of talent in the state of Georgia and frequently uh, kids will, will head off somewhere else and then they decide they want to come back home. Well, that leaves them, you know, really, uh, really only a few options and Georgia tech's made out pretty well. So they're one of them um, from an outbound perspective, um, Florida state's seen a lot of kids transfer out and that's, you know, due to the, that's the nature of the beast when you have a, a big change following a, a coach that was you know, fairly unsuccessful. Uh, so they're, they're kind of one of the, the, the big ones. Um, you know, other teams that you, you see, uh, Virginia Tech has also had a lot of turnover. They've seen a lot going, going out. And uh, Justin Fuente, that's, that's kind of been a, a bit of a revolving door up there. They've had a lot of kids, even in the last few years, transfer out in the, in the transfer portal. Nothing's really changed. So, you know, so those are some of the kind of the winners and losers. All right. Jonathan Leifart's take there from 247sports.com. I got to talk about Virginia's football of 2021. And then, Jonathan, we're going to talk about something I know you know a whole lot about. <laughs> okay. You know what that is? Uh, there's not a lot, so it's probably a limited uh, topic. It's food. Oh, well, of course. And, and I don't you mean that see, in I a don't con- too many meals. Yeah, I don't mean that in a condescending way. I mean that in a very positive <laughs> way. We're going to talk about that in just a second. And before I forget... We, we actually played this earlier in the week on the Y'all Show. What in the world, and maybe he's a, a, an incoming player to Jeff Collins' program, what in the world was Jamie Foxx doing at Georgia Tech's football facility over the last couple of days? <laughs> well, he was, um, you know, Georgia's become a, a pretty big hotbed for, for shooting movies, and he happened to be in town doing that. And uh, he was looking for a place to work out and, uh, you know, in private where he could go there. And he... Uh, uh, one of the former players, um, Osahan Tago, who was a defensive lineman for Georgia Tech uh, when Paul Johnson was a coach, um, happened to know it was working in the movie industry and happened to know Jamie. And so he got him hooked up where he could go work out at Georgia Tech. And, and that's that was the story of how he uh, how he ended up there. And if you haven't seen it, there's a, I guess, TikTok video of Jamie Foxx, the acting great from Texas, right there at Bobby Dodd Stadium impersonating not necessarily Jeff Collins, but I guess what he thinks a ACC type football coach would sound like. I, I think he was actually going for Collins. Oh, was he? So yeah, he was, and he did All a right. pretty decent job. At well, it. I'll tell you what, that actor doesn't do a very good Jeff Collins. I'll be honest with you. <laughs> uh, you would think better of Jamie Foxx. He better stick well, to um, comedy. Yeah. Comedy or whatever else I was going to say. I don't want to get him, since we're talking about football, confused with uh, Cuba Gooding Jr., because I still get 
tickled over a show me the money, but that, that's a different actor there. Uh, yeah. but, uh, I don't know if Jamie Foxx, has he been in a football movie? Not that I recall. I do not know. Well, that's what he needs to work on next. Maybe he could do one right there at North Avenue at Georgia Tech. Jonathan, let's talk about Virginia. The Cavaliers under Bronco Mendenhall have had a pretty good couple of years. I know maybe the 2020 season was not exactly what they wanted, but let's talk about them, and I'm going to walk through their schedule for 2021. What are your thoughts on the Who's of Virginia? Yeah, it, it seems like they, uh, you know, they had a, a their quarterback. Uh, I believe his name was uh, Bryce Perkins a couple years ago. That was did a really good job for them, and they kind of lived and died with him. And since then, they haven't really had the difference maker at quarterback to kind of help them out. And so it's not like they've struggled massively, but they have not been able to kind of repeat the success they had and get kind of over the hump. And so they're another team that's kind of stuck in the in the pack with all the other coastal teams, which. Uh, seems to be a recurring theme every year in the ACC with the Coastal. So, um, you know, they'll they'll fall anywhere from, uh, you know, they won it the one year, and, and and you might see them all the way down as far as fifth or sixth. Um, but it wouldn't surprise me to see them anywhere. And just uh, it's such a crapshoot with, with, that, with that division. The Virginia Cavaliers slated to kick off the 2021 season. And, Jonathan, this is just a beautiful thing I'm looking at right now. You know what I'm looking at on – VirginiaSports.com. I have no idea. Maybe they're I'm looking. I'm looking at non-conference opponents for an ACC team. That's a great thing to see multiple non-conference opponents showing up on a football schedule. Yeah, especially after 2020. I think we all learned that uh, we won't be taking that for granted anymore, will we? No, and you won't be taking for granted Mike Tomlin U as William & Mary is the first opponent coming into Charlottesville, and that's set for September 4th. That an FCS team out of the CAA. Then the Illinois Fighting Illini and their new coach. They got Brett Bielema coming back from the Arkansas Razorbacks to life as the new head coach there in Champaign-Urbana. And Illinois will be in Charlottesville on September 11th. They open up their ACC schedule against rival North Carolina. That at Keenan Stadium. That is September 18th. Then they're on Tobacco Road. Well, Tobacco Road comes to them again. Wake Forest is the opponent on September 24th. Then they'll be at the U. Miami welcomes them then to Miami Gardens at the end of September. Then when you turn the calendar into October, the Virginia Cavaliers will be on the road against Louisville on October the 9th. I guess that's a, a couple of days. It might be like a, one of those famous Thursday games or something like that. On the 16th, they've got Duke in Charlottesville. Georgia Tech comes to Charlottesville October 23rd. And then a road trip, another non-conference matchup for the Hoos as they'll be taking on Bronco Mendenhall's former employer and his alma mater, BYU. That game's set for B, uh, at Provo at the end of October. Then you get into the month of November. It's Notre Dame coming into Charlottesville, a game against Pitt around November 20th. And then they close up their rivalry, rivalry the regular season against Virginia Tech in Charlottesville on, I think it's the 27th of November. So Jonathan, your thoughts on what's going on with Virginia football in 2021. What do you expect? Well, I mean, their, their non-conference schedule is, is fairly, uh, fairly easy. Even Illinois is in the middle of a, a, re, a rebuild, you know, following Lovey Smith. So their non-conference is going to be, you know, very winnable for them. Um, and then when you look at kind of their, 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 their division and out, out of division schedule, they've got Wake Forest as one of the teams that makes it a little easier. So, 
they've got an easier schedule, so they should be set up pretty well for for uh, bowl eligibility. I don't think they have what it takes to win the division. They 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 won't be able to beat North Carolina, and I don't think they can beat Miami as well. The other teams in the division are probably uh, there's a number of toss ups in there. Um, so yeah, I, I see them as kind of a a 500 team within the ACC, and then using the their non conference schedule to build a, a bowl resume. Well, again, as of now, looks like we've got a schedule lined up for the Who's and all of the other member institutions of the Atlantic Coast Conference this year. Minus Notre Dame, they're they're back off and not an ACC member in football this year, right? <laughs> yeah, they're back to being independent. That was a one year deal only. Um, yeah. We'll see if that ever comes back again. But for now, it was a one year deal. All right, Jonathan. To wrap up the fun here on ACC Talk with you, we will go to the great world of Twitter, where Big Game Boomer is a Twitter account at Big Game Boomer. They have a article up: the best burger joints in every Power Five college town. And I'm going to focus on the Southern college towns that are in the Atlantic Coast Conference. So I'll start off in Clemson, South Carolina. They've got down as the best burger joint in Tigertown, Backstreet's Pub and Grill. Have you had any experience there? I can't say that I have. Hmm. I guess the SO Club doesn't serve burgers there. Uh, they do, actually, but uh, and I've had uh, dinner at the SO Club before, but uh, did not have a burger. Yeah, and I know Max is another famous place around the Pendleton area of Clemson. From Durham, North Carolina, Duke, they have listed here Bull City Burger. Any experience there? No, I haven't been to Durham in quite a while, so uh, no experience with their burgers. Okay, Jonathan, we might have had the wrong guy here to talk about burgers here. I don't, <laughs> I don't know what you do when you're on the road, but let's go to Tallahassee. They've got listed here Hobbit American Grill. Does that sound familiar? Now, I have heard of that, and I've heard it's pretty good, but I have not eaten there yet. Of course, Georgia Tech only plays, plays Florida State um, very, very rarely. Um, and this last year with COVID, I was not able to attend. So, Well, you can make up for lost time at all these places. That's one reason we're telling y'all here on the Y'all Show all these places, because even if you're not an ACC fan or a football fan, these sound like places you want to check out. So do that. And by the way, SEC people, on Thursday's Y'all Show, I'll go through the SEC's list of burger joints in their respective towns. All right, you mentioned Georgia Tech. How about the Varsity? You reckon that place is any good? Uh, I've been there, and it's <laughs> funny because uh, I, I certainly will eat there from time to time, but I'm not sure I would qualify them as having the best burger in town. That's what best game, big game uh, boomer puts them as the best burger joint in Atlanta where Georgia Tech is located, the Varsity. Mm-hmm. Maybe the most famous one, though. What do you have? Yeah. What do you have? Isn't that what they say? That's absolutely what they say, and they're definitely the most famous, but I would not say that they are are the best. And it is just across the street from the Georgia Tech campus. All right, how about Louisville? They've got something called Buns Burgers listed. Does that sound familiar to you? I, you know, I've never actually been to Louisville, so not. We got to get you out. You know, this well, coronavirus is lifting. You better get up and go. Now, I would like to get up to Louisville and go visit some of the bourbon distilleries. That would be ah, what I would be. Uh, bourbon okay, and burgers, that sounds great to me. Oh, it's a great idea. All right, let me know when you do that. I'll have to go along on research. Hey, in Miami, they've got down here for a burger joint for the U, Clutch Burger. Does that sound familiar? I, I'm not familiar with them. And when I go to, to Miami, I usually go seafood. So, you know, hey, it, that's what you do when you're at the coast. Okay. Well, you be that way. Owl's Burger Shack is what they have down for Chapel Hill. No, 
Another no. one I'm not familiar with. No. Char Grill for Raleigh and NC State. Uh, I've actually heard of Char Grill. Um, I was previously worked uh, with a company and made some um, some trips up there and heard that they were pretty good. Yeah. All right, and we may be running out of Southern ACC schools. For, well, we got the Virginia schools. Uh, UVA Citizen Burger Bar. Does that sound familiar? No, nah, can't say that it, that, I, that I've heard of that one. Shame on you. Virginia yeah. Tech Hokey House. Hokey House. Yeah, that's a place I've probably not been either. Yep, well, you probably wouldn't go with that name there. And lastly here for our Southern ACC member institutions on this best burger joint list, there in Winston-Salem, off the Wake Forest campus, you've got Sin Sin Burger Bar, and that's C-I-N, not S-I-N, which I don't think there's any sin going on at a Baptist school like Wake Forest. Uh, formerly Baptist school in, <laughs> in the Tobacco Town. So, yeah, uh, yeah. They, well, they probably don't dance up there, you know, yeah. nonetheless. Um, not, I've not been to that place either. Jonathan, you got to get busy. I tell you, and, and uh, I, I've been to one. I've been to one on the list, and I proclaimed it not to be the best in town. So oh, that'll be okay. All right, Jonathan Lifei, twenty four seven Sports, our ACC report. <laughs> we sure appreciate you coming on and talking to us here, and maybe you'll get a couple of these burger joints in before we talk to you again. I'll try to do that. All right, thank you for being on, and that will wrap up our ACC report here on Y'all Talk with a Southern Accent. Hang on, more of the show that covers everything Southern is headed your way right after this timeout. Southern accent. Here's an accent on the South from y'all.com. I'm Kobe Bennett. The 147th Kentucky Derby came and went last week, but not all eyes were on the horses. They were, in fact, on the hats. Yes, the women's hats at the Derby have become a tradition in their own right, to the extent that the official Derby site advised women to wear plain dresses in order to accentuate their charming chapeau. Now, if you're a lady who's looking to spice up your look with some high-class headpieces, you can find them at a variety of sources. First, there's the more conventional resources, such as Amazon and Etsy. For the uninformed, Etsy offers a vast selection of custom handmade goods, including some standout hats. But let's say you want to go to the source and pick up some true Derby-made lids. Then let me direct you to three of the top Derby hat suppliers, courtesy of DerbyExperiences.com. First is the Christine A. Moore Millinery a New York-based company that has been the featured milliner of the Kentucky Derby for the past four years and is the official milliner of the Breeders' Cup. You can find her at camhats.com. The other two designers come straight out of Louisville. There's D's Hats, a local company that serves as the largest seller of custom-designed hats and fascinators in the area. And finally, there's the Hat Girls, who are the official hat designers of the Kentucky Derby Festival. So if you're in the market for a gift to the heavens, take some time to check out these stunning hats. Southern fun and more at y'all.com. All right, thank you there for that. And that wraps up this first hour of Y'all Talk with a Southern Accent. And we will be right back here for hour number two. Don't miss out on the fun. Hang on. For another hour of talking about everything in the South. We are your connection to all things Southern. This is y'all, and I'm John Rawl. Good to have you back here on this 
Wednesday. We're working through an exciting day across the region, and we're just tickled that you could take some time to be a part of the action. We've got a look at headlines from across the South we'll get to in a sec. Also, some Southern business news here in hour number two. And on the business front, some positive news coming out of Davidson County, Tennessee. We'll tell you about the 100% capacity expected this weekend at the Grand Ole Opry. And I'll rewind back to last weekend when I saw an amazing Grand Ole Opry performance and a surprise performance. And it'll put a little kick in your step here, make you feel good. I know we normally cover our country music news on Thursday, but let's go ahead and talk about a little country music business news here in hour two today. We also have a look at Southern Books. We'll take a quick look at the bestsellers around the land hour here this today of y'all. Then we have an hour three coming up. We will be filing our closing argument solo today. So we'll take a look at some of the news and all going on in the sports world. Plus, we'll tell you about commencement speakers. This is the time of year where the college students, high school students also getting their diplomas. And we'll walk through some of the more famous commencement speakers in the month of May 2021. And along those lines, we'll rewind back to last weekend when the president of the University of South Carolina gave a commencement address. And he lifted it from another commencement address from some eight years ago. And he's in a lot of trouble. In fact, there's been calls for him to be ousted. He even offered his resignation, Bob Caslin from the University of South Carolina. And the board turned down that offer. <laughs> yeah. And this is a retired lieutenant general from the United States Army who's leading the University of South Carolina. So we'll tell you about that in Hour 3, plus more headlines and more fun coming up on y'all. Our website is YALL.com. We are the South's homepage. Go there to find out all kinds of fun stuff going on across the Southland. And we've got interviews up there, both audio and audio-visual interviews that you can find at y'all.com. So check it out if you want to know what's going on around the South. Okay, what's going on around the South from a news standpoint? Oh, my goodness. There's a darn good chance you've been waiting in a line to get some petrol. And if you have, apologies there. At least your car or truck or tractor likely has a radio, and you can tune in the Y'all Show on our great list of affiliates across the Southland. But that's not what you want to hear. What you want to hear is, when am I going to get my gas? I got to go take the kids to ball practice, or I got to go to work. Uh, Actually, you might have an excuse to not go to work. I was thinking about this on Tuesday night. So about a year ago, we were all told to stay home because you might get the coronavirus, And here this week, we're likely being told in some cases, stay home because we don't want you driving. You might get stranded. You might run out of gas. So first it's the virus, and now it's gasoline that is likely to cause some people to not go to work. You're going to likely see, if this thing keeps getting out of control, cancellations of schools, if that hasn't happened already, cancellations of sporting events. You're ripping up the roads, burning gas, and you don't need to be as What we're talking about is the Colonial Pipeline and the ransomware attack from it have caused a shutdown in a large portion of the eastern seaboard, and that's having effects really throughout several states. In fact, many southern states are already lifting, or they're actually announcing, emergency measures, uh, states of emergency. I know Ron DeSantis has done that 
in Florida. S&P's oil price information service puts the number of gas stations encountering shortage at more than 1,000, and that was on Tuesday. This number is going to definitely grow as this Colonial Pipeline runs from the Texas Gulf Coast to the New York metropolitan areas and the states most dependent on this pipeline, Alabama, Georgia, Tennessee, and the Carolinas. And we're seeing a big, big problem. I didn't just tell you, I just failed to tell you in that listing of states in the south where this pipeline is very, very big and has a big presence felt. Virginia, 7.7% of Virginia's nearly 3,900 gas stations ran out of fuel on Tuesday. That according to GasBuddy.com. And in North Carolina, 8.5% of almost 5,400 gas stations also ran out of fuel on Tuesday. That number growing and also growing are people's impatience. And you're seeing, I'm already reading about fights that are taking place and people are having to prioritize whether it's worth waiting in the line or just staying home. As the U.S. Energy Secretary Jennifer Granham said, a large part of the pipeline did resume operations manually late Monday, but they're saying this could be several days before this pipeline is back to where it ought to be. It was hit on Friday with a cyber attack by hackers who lock up computer systems and demand ransom to release them, and this attack raised concerns once again about the vulnerability of the country's critical infrastructure. Where's that infrastructure plan when you need it most? Well, this should have been in place. There's no excuse for any major company that's got a pipeline to not have the most secure computer systems because we know how critical the fuel supply is to our national economy, our national defense even. And here we are having this pipeline that delivers about 45% of what is consumed on the entire East Coast essentially shutting down. And if it's that easy to shut down a pipeline and shut down a country with the touch of a computer stroke, we are in big trouble. It also highlights how dependent we are as a country and likely as an entire world on computers. We know there are lots of bad actors around the world that want to do us harm. Those bad actors don't have to have million-man armies ready to come kill us. They can kill us economically. They can kill us in so many other ways without firing a bullet, all with a touch of a button. We've seen this through election interference, and a lot of people blame Russia for that. I blame a bunch of countries, frankly, because a bunch of countries benefit when this country suffers. And I think China is benefiting more than anybody right now from our own problems. And and China is is taking it to a new level with their sense of empowerment as they've circled Taiwan. They are, I just read Tuesday, trying to build a naval base in the Atlantic Ocean off the Africa, somewhere on the African coastline. And I didn't know they had a, a naval base in Djibouti, Africa already on the kind of eastern side toward the Saudi Arabia Peninsula, all, all that. And China's stepping up their game, causing a lot of problems. And and here we don't know exactly who's responsible for this colonial pipeline interference, but it it's having a major impact and it's not going to get any easier if we don't 
do something about it. Moving on to West Texas, two deputies killed there and a city worker wounded in an attack. This happened in Eden, Texas. That's about 100, more like 200 miles west of Dallas in West Texas. As a Department of Public Safety official in Texas said, the suspect taken into custody after this attack in Eden, Jeffrey Nicholas, who's 28-year-old, he's been booked into the Tom Green County Jail in San Angelo, Texas, bond set at $4 million. He's charged with capital murder of a peace officer. Two Concho County Sheriff's deputies and a city employee arrived at a home on Monday evening while making contact with people at the resident at the residence, an altercation occurred and escalated into gunfire. And the Lubbock, Texas Police Department said in a statement that it was heartbroken to learn of the deaths of these officers who the names have not been released yet. But the governor of Texas said in a statement that our hearts are broken. This terrible loss is a solemn reminder of the risk our brave law enforcement officers face while protecting our communities. That from Texas Governor Greg Abbott again. Two Concho County, Texas sheriff's deputies killed in the line of duty while going to a home over a complaint of a dog. That's why they were there. And a city city employee, probably animal control, if I had to guess, wounded also in this deadly attack in West Texas. In West Virginia, an update on a story there. You might remember a nurse who worked for the VA killed seven elderly veterans by injecting them with insulin. And now she is going to serve multiple life sentences in prison as a federal judge called her the monster that no one sees coming. Rita Mays, who had health issues, offered no explanation Tuesday for why she killed these seven veterans. Judge Thomas Clee there in Charleston, West Virginia, told her, you knew what you were doing before sentencing her to seven consecutive life terms, a punishment that means she's most likely going to die in prison. She's currently 46 years old. She pleaded guilty in 2020 in federal court to seven counts of second-degree murder for intentionally injecting these seven men with unprescribed insulin at the Lewis A. Johnson VA Medical Center in Clarksburg, West Virginia, and now sentenced by a judge to seven life sentences and the deaths of these veterans in West Virginia. Three Georgia men pleaded on Tuesday not guilty to federal hate crime charges. This in regards to the slaying of Ahmad Arbery that happened back in 2020. The 25-year-old black man who was running through a neighborhood and these three men chased him down and shot him. Travis McMichael, his father Greg McMichael, as well as a neighbor William Roddy Bryan all entered pleas before a U.S. magistrate judge, a plea of not guilty. Justice Department prosecutors said they plan to share the bulk of their evidence with the defense attorneys within the week, the rest within the next month. A Georgia judge has set a trial in the state's case for October and will hear pretrial motions later this week. But now federal crimes being leveled against these three men, they're saying not guilty to federal hate crime charges and the death of the young Georgian Ahmad Aubrey. In Nashville, a person there has now been arrested more than 200 times, and the sheriff of Davidson County is not very happy about it. Larry Brown arrested again this week. Police charged him twice within a 24-hour 24, 24 period 
for public intoxication. Where's uh, was his name Otis off of Andy Griffith's show? The guy that would be in the jail. They just need to open up a jail in Nashville and keep this guy in there most of the time. The latest incident happened for Mr. Brown in the parking lot at St. Thomas Midtown Hospital. A nurse was evidently attacked by this guy. A woman named Susie Cox said she didn't see a punch coming, and she ended up being attacked by this guy. Again, public drunkenness was one of the charges for Mr. Brown. He has a history of attacking health care workers, and this goes all the way back to 1975. That's a weird fetish, attacking health care workers. He's been jailed in Nashville alone 58 times. He spent 1,652 days in jail in Nashville. That's cost Davidson County taxpayers more than $330,000. Davidson County, Tennessee Sheriff Darren Hall says arresting Larry isn't arresting the problem. He said Brown has proof that the system is failing, adding, I believe Larry belongs in a hospital. I do. There's no secret his behavior is not fixable in a criminal justice way. But more than 200 arrests for this man who is, I'm trying to get his age. I don't see it listed here, but he he doesn't appear to be a spring chicken. He he looks like he's pushing 60 somewhere along there if I had to ID his age at this point. More news out of the volunteer state. If you want to travel from Memphis over to West Memphis, Arkansas on Interstate 40, Listen up. It's going to be quite some time because the Hernando de Soto Bridge, the famous bridge connecting Memphis to Arkansas and going across the Mississippi River, that bridge is now shut down as crews inspect a crack in the structure. And this is Interstate 40. It is a major thoroughfare and transportation of all type pass over Interstate 40. And so now traffic being rerouted to the I-55 bridge south of Interstate 40's bridge in Memphis. That's a lot longer trip for truck drivers and more to have to make. So if you're listening to us traveling on Interstate 40, keep in mind that the Hernando de Soto bridge, the actual I-40 bridge in downtown Memphis, is closed as they're making a routine inspection on the other day, they spotted a crack in the bottom side of the bridge truss. So they're going to have to get that fixed. And one thing I want them to do is get it fixed because if you're like me and you've crossed over that bridge in your life, you've often thought, hmm, I sure hope this bridge is good because if it doesn't work and I come flying out of this bridge, I'm going to go right into the drink of the Mississippi River and I'm going to end up in the Gulf of Mexico and I don't think I'll survive this. It's a long way down into a very violent river the mississippi river right there at memphis and if you've ever been to memphis and looked out over the bridge and looked down in that water of the mississippi river lord knows what you've seen there's been cars pop out of that river right there trees houses trash of all kinds i mean this is uh, 50 percent of the nation's i guess water flows through that thing or or i should say not water wastewater more like it flows south of the on the mississippi river and if you're not careful you don't want to be out there in a boat unless it's a really big boat maybe like a battleship as it's a very very powerful force our mighty mississippi and right now if you want to go over it you better make your plans accordingly because it ain't looking pretty on interstate 40 in downtown memphis now to an update from the Atlanta area. We know about the shootings where eight people were killed at Asian massage parlors 
in the Atlanta area just a few weeks back, and a man, the man accused of killing the eight people, most of which were of Asian descent, they, the man there is being charged now, or the prosecution is looking to charge him and seek the death penalty in these spa shootings in Atlanta. A Fulton County, Georgia grand jury indicted Robert Aaron Long, the 22-year-old man, who I think is from Canton, Georgia, and the March 16th slayings of all of these victims, most of which were of Chinese or Asian descent, ranging from ages of like 22, or rather, let's see, the youngest I see was 33, oldest, I think I think the seeing 74 years old, mostly Asian, but there were others killed. Paul Michaels was killed. I think he was working at one of these massage parlors in Atlanta on their heating and air conditioning unit. Or no, he was working on their security system. Paul Michaels was, 54-year-old 54, 54 man. And when he came in there, Robert Long came in there shooting. Well, he was a victim of this senseless tragedy from March. And now the DA there in Atlanta, Fannie Willis, filed notice that she intends to seek a hate crime sentence enhancement and the death penalty against Mr. Long. The hate crime charges are based on the actual or perceived race, national origin, sex, and gender of the four women killed, the notice says. See, that's another example of these hate crime things. Ridiculous. The guy killed eight people, okay? So they're saying that he was profiling and doing hate crime on four people, but the other four, it wasn't a hate crime. The people are still dead. If you're dead, you're dead. Charge the guy with murder, put him on death row, kill him. He deserves the ultimate sentence, in my opinion, because he killed eight people. If he killed one person, that's enough. But to add on these uh, hate crimes, we're getting really ridiculous. And I talked about this in hour one. I don't want to get on the soapbox here. But, yes, unfortunately, a tragic story coming out of Atlanta back in March. And now prosecutors looking for the death penalty. No problem for me with that. An eye for an eye, right? Hey, how about this story? out of the south a dunkin donuts employee is now accused of throwing a fatal punch after a customer allegedly used a racial slur an autopsy has revealed what shows a skull fracture and brain contusions on the victim again this is coming from a dunkin donuts in tampa florida this employee there charged on tuesday with aggravated manslaughter after police says he fatally punched a 77-year-old customer who allegedly called him this racial slur. Happened around 1.30 in the afternoon, and Corey Pujols, 27 years old, is now accused of punching the man who fell back and slammed his head. The report said the 77-year-old was annoyed at the service of the location and had asked and had been asked to leave. The man entered the location and reportedly confronted Pujols. He called Pujols a racial slur, allegedly. And when Pujols, who's black, challenged him to say it again, the customer did. And it was then that the employee allegedly threw the punch. The man, who was not identified in this arrest report, died two days later. The Tampa Bay newspaper reported that Pujols allegedly told police that the man is a regular there and was extremely rude. The paper said it viewed surveillance footage, and it appeared... The man hit the back of his head on the ground. 
autopsy showed a skull fracture and brain contusions. A Duncan spokesperson said in an email statement to the Tampa newspaper, we are deeply saddened by the incident at our franchised restaurant in Tampa. The franchisee who independently owns and operates the restaurant is fully cooperating with the local authorities. As this is an ongoing investigation, we defer any additional questions to the police. Mr. Pujols charged with aggravated manslaughter of an elderly adult. All this happening at a Dunkin' Donuts in Tampa, Florida. And it just shows you also, we often think that alone without weapons, we can't really do all that much damage. But there have been plenty of people throughout the course of history who have been killed by a punch. I even had a distant relative of mine kill a man in a fight with his bare hands. And he did it because he hit his uh, jugular, or the, the vein on the side of your head. And his, he took him one punch. That's all it took. And knocked him out, killed the man. And in fact, he actually didn't get in trouble for it. I think it was self-defense or something like that. Happened way before I was paying attention to some of this stuff. But yes, you can kill people with your bare hands, even with a punch. And boxers and in these MMA fighters and more, sometimes you got to wonder why they do what they do, for, I guess, for the paycheck. But you can definitely definitely cause more damage than good if you're not being careful out there all right here is a nra related story to tell you about a judge is dismissing the nra bankruptcy case and this is what's been called a blow to the gun rights advocacy group as the judge on tuesday leaves the powerful gun rights group to face a new york state lawsuit that accuses it of financial abuses and aims to put it out of business the judge judge Harlan Hale said in a written order that he was dismissing the case because he found the bankruptcy was not filed in good faith. He was tasked with deciding whether the NRA should be allowed to incorporate in Texas instead of New York, where the state is suing in an effort to disband the group. It's been headquartered in Virginia for a while, but the NRA was chartered as a nonprofit in New York back in 1871 and remains incorporated in the Empire State. And we know that the NP, the NRA, with its embattled top executive, Wayne LaPierre, has acknowledged putting the NRA into Chapter 11 bankruptcy without the knowledge of or assent of most of the board or top officers. Real, real soap opera going on with the National Rifle Association. And right now, it looks like they're headed to more misery and perhaps more problems as they've had mutiny within the organization remember oliver north was a big player in that and wayne lapierre who's still the ceo of the nra has found a way to stay atop that organization but right now the nra in major legal peril if you will and we'll keep an eye on what's going on with them lastly here in our headlines a quick look at what's going on across the southland South Carolina's Governor Henry Master has issued an executive order that lets parents opt their children out of wearing masks in public schools. Citing widespread coronavirus vaccine access for adults across the state is the reason that kids don't have to wear a mask. So, you know, we don't think about that often if your kids have been going back to school here this year, how it must be. And and, and it's not just the kiddos. It's the adults out there, the people who work at professions where – They have to keep a mask on 
all day long. Do you get used to it? Do you like it? Is there anybody out there who actually likes wearing a mask all day long? Well, our kids have not been given a choice if they've had to go into a classroom setting. And here in South Carolina, McMaster says you don't have to keep that mask on if you're a kid in the classroom anymore. I know that's welcome news to sand lappers. But, man, for all of you who have to wear a mask hours and hours and hours at a time, thank you, first of all. But secondly, I'm sure most of you are looking forward to the day where you don't have to put that thing on and keep it on all day long. Boy, when we can get out of this whole deal, it'll be such a glorious time. We have some Southern business news that we're going to get to next on the Y'all Show. Stick around. That is coming up. Stay where y'all are now. Back on y'all, John Rawl in the house with you on the show that covers everything Southern, including a little Southern business news. And we'll kind of take our first shot here with our first business story from a national perspective as gas prices soaring, gas shortages out around the Southland and more. And usnews.com with an article out, why are fears of high inflation getting worse? Good question there. Consumer goods companies are charging more for household basics like toilet paper, peanut butter, and soft drink. Why are the costs going up? Well, Janet Yellen, she is trying to answer those questions and more, and Jerome Powell as well. In fact, Jerome Powell said last month, he said that you better be careful where we are with things going on in the country right now from a consumer standpoint. And I'll tell you a little bit about the concern that we have there as Powell and others testifying before Congress need to let people know what's going on. Powell has said that the Fed has the tools to address higher inflation. It could reduce its bond purchases of $120 billion in treasuries and mortgage-backed securities each month. That from Jerome Powell and the Feds. The Feds off there. But, yeah, inflation, things going up. The consumer price index rose 2.6% in March compared with a year ago, a significant rise from just 1.7% a month earlier. Not since the late 1960s and early 70s has the United States endured chronic high inflation with consumer prices rising at or near double-digit percentages from one year to the next. And now, under the Fed Chairman Jerome Powell, it's betting that it can keep rates ultra-low even as the economy recovers into high or kicks into high gear all right so watch out things could get a little more pricey going forward 
One good news, U.S. casinos are matching their best quarter ever as post-COVID-19 hopes arise. The commercial casinos in places around the southeast like Tunica or the Mississippi Gulf Coast or Cherokee Casino in North Carolina, Alabama's got a couple of casinos. America's commercial casinos match their best quarter ever in the first three months of this year as consumers returning among the COVID-19 pandemic. Many stayed away from casinos, and now they're out there going to put their money on the line, literally. And you got sports betting money at casinos around the country. So good news on the casino front. A figure released by the American Gaming Association on Tuesday shows that the casino industry's national trade group says the nation's commercial casinos took in over $11.1 billion in the first quarter of this year. That matched the industry's best quarter in history, and that best quarter in history had previously been the third quarter of 2019. Twelve states reported their highest ever levels of monthly gambling revenue, so people are putting their money down on big bets and more, and states are being the beneficiaries. A dozen states setting monthly gambling revenue records. Southern states in that mix include Arkansas, Maryland, Missouri, Oklahoma, and Virginia. Sorry, Alabama and Mississippi, you're not in this list. I guess the the House is keeping the money in those states. But casinos are doing well, according to this article. Tyson Foods says it's raising wages to combat absenteeism and worker turnover at its plants in America as the demand for chicken is soaring. So Tyson, the big chicken operation out of Arkansas, will raise pay. So if you're an employee of that company, get ready for higher wages. The Springdale, Arkansas company, which processes 20% of America's beef, chicken, and pork, said that absentee rates are among 50% and higher, and that was before the pandemic. Government stimulus payments and enhanced employment benefits have made it harder to keep workers. So to combat the virus and more, Tyson and its more than 42,000 employees are going to be rewarded with more money, a pay raise coming to Tyson. Tyson's net income rose 26.5%. For the quarter, as they are now, I guess, brought in $476 million. And so because of that, they can afford to spread the wealth with their employees around Arkansas and the rest of the country. Victoria's Secret is to be spun off after a year of, after, to be spun off a year after a sale of the company collapsed. Oh, you won't be able to maybe go into your local shopping mall and check out all of Victoria's Secrets. They don't have, as Jeff Foxworthy said once, they ain't got too many secrets left at Victoria's Secrets. A year after an agreement to sell Victoria's Secret fell apart as the pandemic emptied malls around the country, Victoria's Secret will be spun off by its owner to become a separate company. This Columbus, Ohio-based company, L Brands, has been shopping the struggling chain elsewhere since the collapse of the deal said it had held talks with a number of potential buyers, but it appears it could not come to an agreement on price. So Victoria's Secret sold to Sycamore Partners for $525 million, and it looks like it's going to not go out of business totally. It's just going to start operating a lot differently based on the article we're reading here today. 
Good news if you're a fan of Memphis barbecue and you don't want to go to Memphis if you live in Nashville, there's going to be an additional location of Central Barbecue, a Memphis staple, and it's going to open in Nashville. And they've already got one location in downtown Nashville. Now they're going to open up another location in the Nashville area at 408 11th Avenue North in the Capitol View neighborhood. Central Barbecue. If you haven't had a chance to eat at Central, go to their website, eatcbq.com, and you'll see their locations. They've got several in Memphis, their home city, Poplar Avenue, Summer Avenue, also one on in downtown. I think it's right beside, if I'm not mistaken, the Civil Rights Museum. But Nashville with this location at 11th Avenue and a Hillsborough Village, if you will, location at 1601 21st Avenue South in Nashville. And I could go through the entire menu and tell you about Central Barbecue. Let me just tell you, it's delicious. If Whether you're in Nashville or Memphis, it is a delish. And one of the things they do well there is barbecue spaghetti. Yeah, check that out when you're there. And they also have plenty of other great options, pulled pork, beef brisket, and more. But yeah, check out their sketty, if you will, at Central Barbecue. And they also have a delicious sausage and cheese plate. Our barbecue barrister, Matt Hermans, has been on before to tell us all about this wonderful Tennessee company. And good job expanding here in the shadows of the coronavirus coming to an end. One thing coming to an end this weekend is a limited capacity at the Grand Ole Opry in Nashville, and the Opry is going to go back to 100% capacity starting May 14th. Way to go, Grand Ole Opry. Starting Friday, they'll have a full house there in Nashville, and you'll have performances Friday from Grand Ole Opry members Laurie Morgan, the Oak Ridge Boys, and more as the Grand Ole Opry celebrating its 95th anniversary here this year. And now back to 100% capacity. That is fantastic news to hear about the Opry because it's the longest-running radio show, not the Y'all Show. It's the Grand Ole Opry, longest-running radio show in the country. And for them to come back full steam after still putting on shows throughout this whole last year, they would often have guys and gals up there with their guitars and sing acoustic and it was an empty house, but they kept the opera going to their credit. They didn't miss a beat, and now they've got the opportunity to have a full beat and a full crowd there in Nashville. And because of that, and a salute to the Grand Ole Opry, staying in business and not giving up, we're going to go to a quick break, and we'll come right back. I'm going to play a portion of a song from this past weekend, as I want to salute the opera even more than what I've already told you about, and I'm going to play part of a song that was played on the Opry stage this past weekend, and it was a surprise performance there at the Opry. And you're going to love what you hear when we come right back because it's one of country music's biggest stars. In fact, it's one of music's biggest stars. And he showed up on the stage. Nobody knew he was coming. It's part of the fun of what you'll see at the Opry. And, And it's just a great thing that I saw on television and I want to share that with you and also let you know that it looks like we're going to get through this thing whenever you have things like the Opry opening back up to 100% capacity. It's a definite positive sign. We'll have a portion of that when we come right back here on Y'all Talk with a Southern Accent.
didn't cheat, I didn't lie, so your leaving took me by surprise. Just a note on the table, saying we're through. And at first I went crazy, so it took me some time, but I finally read between the lines It's not what I did It's what I didn't do My record didn't sound like that I didn't tell her Each day I loved her I took in for granted Somehow she did. It's the Y'all Show. John Rawl back here. It's Garth Brooks singing, by the way. I'll tell you more about this in a second. He's joined by Steve Warner on Steve Warner's great 80s song. It's not what I did, it's what I didn't do. It's not what I did. It's what I didn't do. All right, so last weekend at the Grand Ole Opry, Steve Warner was recognized for his 25th anniversary of being inducted into the Mother Church of Country Music. And while they were up there feasting, and or feeding would be the term, uh, Steve Warner, in walks Garth Brooks. Garth Brooks, of course, a Grand Ole Opry member as well. And he surprised his buddy Steve. Of course, they've teamed up before on songs like Burning the Roadhouse Down. And I think uh, Steve was part of Two Pina Coladas was the song that they did together. And and others, I mean, Steve was one of Garth's role models, if you will, in Oklahoma, and one of his uh, idols. And so these two great musicians getting together last weekend at the Opry in Nashville, and we're playing this song because we're proud of the Opry. We're proud of them keeping this thing going and country music's mother church going throughout this last year. And and here you see this kind of spontaneous deal. And I'm also going to give a shout-out to the Circle Network for broadcasting this this whole time. You can go get the Circle Network on YouTube, and that's how I see it. But after their performance last week during the one-hour TV broadcast, Circle just kept the cameras going, and you could see that on YouTube of several Steve Warner, Garth Brooks songs together. So enjoy this last few seconds of Steve and Garth together. It's not what I did, it's what I didn't do. It's not what I did, it's what I didn't do. Oh, yeah. It's Y'all Talk with a Southern Accent. We'll be right back with more of the show that covers the South.
your mother and your father. I once was a schoolboy too. All right, we're wrapping up this second hour of y'all on a Wednesday. We got to take a look at books here. Moving over from music talk to book talk here on the show covering everything, and I do mean everything about the South. According to Amazon.com, here are some of their new and noteworthy reads available right now. Eleanor, Eleanor Oliphant is completely fine. A novel, Gail Honeyman, wrote this, and it's out now. Also, the Daily Stoic, 366 Meditations on Wisdom, Perseverance, and the Art of Living. Ryan Holiday wrote this one. Robert Greene and others wrote The 48 Laws of Power. It is a new and noteworthy read from Amazon.com. Bad Blood, Secrets and Lies in a Silicon Valley Startup. That written by John Currieu. Isabel Wilkerson has penned The Warmth of Other Sons, one of Amazon's reads of note. And then lastly from Amazon, The Feather Thief, Kirk Wallace Johnson with this read. Looking at the New York Times bestsellers right now, number one, and debuting this week is Oxford, Mississippi, and Charlottesville, Virginia, and I think West Memphis, Arkansas's own John Grisham and Suley as Samuel Shuleyman receives a basketball scholarship to North Carolina Central and determines to bring his family over from a Civil War-ravaged South Sudan. That the brand new read from John Grisham here this week. It's called Suley, S-O-O-L-E-Y. Finding Ashley from Danielle Steele is out this week, also brand new. The two estranged sisters, one a former best-selling author, the other a nun, reconnect as one searches for the child, the other gave up. And that is out this week from Danielle Steele. A gambling man from David Baldacci. It's about a World War II veteran seeking to apprentice with a private eye in a corrupt California town. And this is in the combined print and ebook fiction category. A Gambling Man is the title of this book. Martha Wells' Fugitive Telemetry is up. It's brand new and it's out this week. It is the sixth book in the Murder Bot Diaries series. And lastly, still up there toward the top of the combined print and ebook fiction list from New York Times is Amanda Gorman's The Hill We Climb. Your nonfiction books from the New York Times bestsellers list include New What Happened to You from Bruce Perry and Oprah Winfrey. Hey, Oprah with a best-selling book. Who would have ever thought that one? Uh, a Bomber Mafia by Malcolm Gladwell is out. A look at the key players and outcomes of precision bombing during World War II. I like that one. That's brand new, and it's number two this week. Also out in the top five is You Are Your Best Thing. It's edited by Tarana Burke and Brene Brown, an anthology of writing on the black experience and shame resilience. Number four. Hey, we talked about Chattanooga's own before. He's got a book. It's number four. We need to get him on the show. Leslie Jordan and How Y'all Doing, a collection of essays by the Emmy-winning actor who became a viral sensation without knowing what that phrase meant at the time that's when he started doing these coronavirus videos and leslie jordan the actor has now got a number four best-selling book on the new york times not bad and lastly on the combined print and ebook nonfiction list is bessel van der kolk's the body keeps the score all that available for you to read if you're into reading this time of year and you should be 
Well, that will conclude our hour here of hour number two, y'all, on a Wednesday. We've got a whole nother hour. Why don't you say we do it again? Okay, sounds good. And we'll do it right after this on the show that covers the South. Now who's that coming yonder? She all dressed up and pretty. She all dressed up and pretty. Good Wednesday. I'm John Rawl. This is Y'all Talk with a Southern Accent from y'all.com, the homepage of the South, broadcasting to you on great stations across the Southeast and also on great podcast options. You can find us at iHeartRadio, also the TuneIn Radio app, and a lot of other good choices. Apple Podcast. Don't want to leave that one out. If you are on the go and you can't tune into your favorite station and hear the Y'all Show in its entirety, we make it oh so easy for you to kind of keep up with what's going on here. All you got to do is search for us. Go to y'all.com. That's another option for you to get the podcast edition of Y'all Talk with a Southern Accent. And if you go to Y'all, there's a darn good chance not only are you going to be able to get the audio podcast, you can watch many of the interviews that we do here at Y'all and see them kind of take place kind of kind of i think it's kind of neat Uh, i'm a little bit uh, biased here i think it's a pretty neat option for you to see in fact tune in to y'all.com and you can get a preview of some of the great stuff that we've got here on the y'all show this week we have great interviews lined up and we got a great interview lined up for you on thursday we are going to talk with chris hillman chris hillman a founding member of 60s rock folk whatever you want to call it band the birds he was in that alongside david crosby roger mcguinn and chris hillman is going to be on with us he also went on to help start the flying burrito brothers he did that with graham parsons and Bertie Lidden, Lidden, who went on to help found the eagles chris hillman did all that back in the 60s and somehow he survived the 60s and its wild and crazy scene to end up in Nashville in the 1980s and was the leader of the Desert Rose Band, which had several number one songs and did quite well in country music. And Chris Hillman is going to be on with us as part of our entertainment focus on Thursday's Y'all Show. And we have that interview for you to view at y'all.com. You can watch it. So all that right here from y'all, customer service. We try to do our darndest here to make y'all happy and I think you'll enjoy that. And that's just some of the fun that you'll find at Y'all and right here on the Y'all Show. What you're going to find right now on Y'all is a Southern Sports Update. And we'll start it off talking about what's going on across the land of sports here in the Southeast. And the big news from a national scene today is the release of the 2021 NFL schedule. And I have, donk, 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 breaking news it appears the week one schedule. We won't know the full week one or week uh, week subsequent to week one until the NFL releases that, and they're going to do that in a big way Wednesday evening. But here's what week one looks like, okay? So take it to the bank, if you will. First game of the 2021 regular season for the National Football League, Dak Prescott and the Dallas Cowboys against Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. That's set for 8.20 Tampa time, and that's going to be on NBC. That will be the opener 
for the NFL in 2021. This is going to be, for the first time, a 17-week regular season and three preseason games taking place in the month of August. Then 17 regular season games. So there's technically this year, for the first time ever, going to be 18 weeks of the regular season with each team getting a bye at one point on their schedule. So we talked about the Buccaneers and the Cowboys. Bucks, your defending Super Bowl champs, welcoming in Dallas to Tampa. Following that Thursday night game on that Sunday, the first Sunday of the NFL season, you've got early games, Steelers at the Bills, the New York Jets at the Carolina Panthers, the Jacksonville Jaguars debut their whole new lineup and new coach at Houston to take on the Texans. The Arizona Cardinals will be in Nashville taking on the Tennessee Titans in an early game on September 12th. The L.A. Chargers will be taking on the nation's capitals team, the Washington football people. (laughs) That game will be an early game on that opening day. The Philadelphia Eagles will be flying high to Atlanta as the Falcons host them in an opening game on September 12th. Seahawks will be in Indy to take on the Colts. Vikings will be at Cincinnati. Is Joe Burr going to be back in the saddle for Cincinnati? We sure hope so. He's coming off a gruesome injury. And then your last early game on the opening day has the San Francisco 49ers going back to the city that they won their first Super Bowl in, Detroit, as the Detroit Lions will be hosting the 49ers on Sunday, September 12th in the early games. Your later games starting at 425 Eastern on Sunday. Cleveland will be in Kansas City to take on the Chiefs. Miami Dolphins will be at New England in an AFC East clash there. The Denver Broncos will be taking on the New York football giants there from the Meadowlands. The Green Bay Packers will be in the Big Easy to take on the New Orleans Saints. And then your last game on that Sunday is an evening contest, Sunday Night Football on NBC. The Chicago Bears will be at Los Angeles to take on the Rams from SoFi Stadium. And that's an 8-20 kick on NBC with Al Michaels and company. Your Monday night football game in week one, Baltimore will be at the Las Vegas Raiders ESPN, of course, with the rights to Monday night football. That's your week one lineup of the NFL. And some notes about the 2021 schedule from what we know There's not going to be, unlike years past, a doubleheader in week one on Monday night. Remember, we've kind of gotten used to having that way to kick off the season with two back-to-back games this year. No Monday night doubleheader in week one. The Atlanta Falcons and the Jacksonville Jaguars will both be hosting games in London this year. We saw that become a big deal over the last few years. Last year it got shut down because of COVID-19. But look for the Dirty Birds and the Jaguars to be back in London hosting games this time. I think the Jaguars played the Falcons about seven or eight years ago, and now a chance for both of these southern teams to go across the Atlantic and play in London. For the first time ever, the NFL will have a Saturday doubleheader in the final week of the season, week 18. Saturday back-to-back doubleheader, kind of like a sneak peek of the playoffs that will be forthcoming Also, we told you the NFL will have games in London. There will be no Mexico City game this year. I know we've seen the Cowboys, I think, play in Mexico City and the Raiders. This year, no Mexico City game. And it 
begs the question, we're talking about the NFL. They've had games in Mexico. They've had games in London. I don't know. Surely they have. I don't remember having an NFL game ever, regular season-wise, in Canada. What's up with Canada? Are they anti-NFL because they have the CFL? What is this all about? Why are teams not scrambling to try to get that very important Canadian market? And I'm not really being facetious here. Uh, Canadians like football. They like hockey, too. But they like football. They like American stuff. And so I'm a little surprised that a team has not played in, let's say, Toronto in September or something like that just to to kind of build under that market. Maybe they feel like they don't have to. Maybe there's actually a under-the-table agreement between the NFL and the CFL that the NFL says, we'll stay out of Canada if you stay out of the lower 48. Maybe that also brings the question, why have we not seen an NFL game ever played regular season-wise in Alaska? <laughs> That'd be fun. Because if you really think about it, and I'm thinking hard here, just at our 16 southern states, have we seen NFL games played in all 16 southern states? Well, let me count them up. Alabama. Has Alabama ever hosted a regular season NFL game? I'm going to say no. I know they've done a lot of preseason games in Alabama. But you would have thought at some point maybe the Falcons would have gone over to Birmingham and played a regular season game. And maybe they have. I'm just not I'm just not sure. Arkansas, I'm going to say probably not. You'd think the Dallas Cowboys would have tried to sneak over there and play a not a preseason, regular season game in Arkansas. Maybe they have. I'm not aware of it. But I can tell you that Florida has multiple NFL franchises, Jaguars, Buccaneers, Dolphins. So there's no shortage of NFL games in the Sunshine State. And then you go to Georgia. That's the home of the Atlanta Falcons, of course. You got Kentucky, and I'm going to go ahead and give Kentucky an honorable mention because although I don't think they've ever had a regular season game played in Kentucky in the NFL, you can see an NFL stadium from the banks of Kentucky as you look over that river to Cincinnati, and there's the Bengals home right there on the riverfront right across from, uh, what is that town? I know it's Florence. Um, Oh, gosh, why am I having a – a junior moment here, I should know. I know the Sean Alexander of Alabama Crimson Tide fame and Seattle Seahawks fame was actually from the town that I can't think of right now. But I'll tell you here, I got to cheat. Uh, I don't want to. I don't want to mess up. And I should know this is a, a southern town that I'm trying to come up with. Covington is it Covington, Kentucky? Yeah, right across from Cincinnati. But you can see the Bengal Stadium easily from Kentucky. I'm just not sure if the Bengals or any other team have ever actually played in the Bluegrass State. And then we get to Louisiana, of course. It's home of the Saints. You get to Maryland, and it's to the home of the Redskins slash football team. Then you get to Mississippi. And no, I'm pretty sure Mississippi's never had a regular season. They've had preseason games, never a regular season game. Mississippi actually had the chance back in the 60s to lure the Dallas Texans away from Dallas and become the Mississippi Texans. Now, they ended up becoming the Kansas City Chiefs, but Jackson, Mississippi was likely going to be the home of 
the what would become the Kansas City Chiefs because they had one of the best stadiums in the country back in the early 1960s. But you know what happened? Officials there in Jackson, Mississippi said, you can't come play football in our stadium and it be integrated. If you have all-white teams, well, you can come on down, AFL at that time. And the, the AFL said, you know what, we'll just, Lamar Hunt, we're, we're just going to take this team on to Kansas City. And that's what they did. All right, so that's Mississippi. Missouri, of course, was the home of the St. Louis Rams. It's also the home of the Kansas City Chiefs. You got uh, North Carolina is the home of the Carolina Panthers, technically, right across from the South Carolina border. Oklahoma, to my knowledge, never a regular season NFL game. South Carolina has been the home of the Carolina Panthers. It was their original home back in the 1995 season when the what was then Erickson Stadium was being built in uptown Charlotte. The Panthers had to have a home that first year. And in their inaugural season, they played at Clemson University's Memorial Stadium, a.k.a. Death Valley. I saw a game the Panthers played. They beat the New Orleans Saints that beautiful Sunday afternoon in Clemson. And so, yeah, the South Carolinas had an NFL team play regular season games. And then you get from South Carolina to Tennessee. Of course, you've got uh, two cities in Tennessee that have hosted regular season games, the Memphis Liberty Bowl hosted the Tennessee Oilers in 1997 and 19, well, only 97 because in 98 they moved to Vanderbilt Stadium and became the Tennessee Titans when they moved into what was then Adelphia Coliseum and it's now Nissan Stadium in Nashville. How about me pulling in all the old stadium names here on this Y'all Show Wednesday edition? So you, I told you about Tennessee, then you got. From Tennessee, Texas, of course, Texas, home of both the Jaguar, or not Jack, home of the Texans and the Dallas Cowboys, and at one time home of the Dallas Texans of the AFL. And lastly, as we wrap up our look around southern states that have hosted regular season, that's the key word here, regular season NFL games. Virginia, I'm not sure if Virginia's ever hosted any NFL team in its borders. Of course, right across the Potomac, you got the Washington football team. I do know Virginia's home of the Washington football team's practice facility. And then West Virginia, nah, I don't think anything has happened there, unless for some crazy reason the Steelers, not all that far from Morgantown, West Virginia, could have played there at one point. But yeah, that's a, a kind of a football throwback history, if you will, as I kind of went around the map of the South and told you where all regular season NFL games have happened since the NFL is so willing to go to London and looking to maybe expand and have a NFL franchise in London and England one day. Maybe they just need to shore up some things here in the Southeast, if you will. Well, I'll tell you what, one team in baseball might be wanting to pack its bags sooner than later. And could a Southern city like Charlotte or Nashville lure the Oakland A's as on Tuesday, Major League Baseball actually gave their blessing to the athletics to kind of start shopping around, if you will, a pressure that may put uh, pressure on Oakland's local officials to get a stadium project going there at Howard Terminal. But the A's, who've played in Oakland since 1968, have long sought a new stadium. And we've already seen Oakland's two other professional teams leave town. The Warriors leaving to go over to San Francisco, they're still the Golden State Warriors, but they're no longer playing in Oakland. 
And then, of course, the Raiders have now moved to Las Vegas in the NFL. And now the Oakland A's could be the next team and vacate Oakland for the bright lights of Nashville and or Charlotte or the likely leader in the clubhouse for this relocation, if it were to happen, would be Las Vegas. And someone told me uh, not long ago that you're, if you if you were a betting person and Las Vegas is the place to go to bet, they say there's not going to be too crazy of a thought to think that Vegas is going to be the home, more than likely, of the Raiders, the A's, and also, who am I leaving out? Heck, the NBA team could end up there one day. Who? I, I, oh, not not the Golden State Warriors. The Sacramento Kings could end up in Vegas sooner than later. That's what a lot of people are putting their money down in Vegas on is that possibility. So, yeah, it's not a sound situation for the Oakland A's right now and their future city, wherever that might be. And Mark Davis, owner of the Raiders, took a gamble when he decided to pick up and leave Oakland. I mean, there's just something magical if you're a lover of history, and we just went through a lot of history talking about where teams have played their football games. There's something magical about that two-word statement, Oakland Raiders. And I'm not a Raiders fan, but they have a they just have that certain thing that's built on that long history, of course, mostly built on Al Davis, Mark's daddy. And I'm sorry, the, the, the ring of Las Vegas Raiders is not quite as strong. And, of course, I know this team played in Los Angeles for a number of years as the L.A. Raiders, but Oakland Raiders was just a great name, and now that's been swapped out for Las Vegas Raiders. But that Raiders charm is still there. In fact, the Raiders are finally, when this 2021 season gets up and going, going to play in front of a full crowd. The only actual game that I saw in their Allegiant Stadium is what they play in in Vegas that had a decent crowd was when UNLV played a football game against their rival from the north, University of Nevada, Reno, Nevada, Wolf Space Pack. (laughs) That was a game played in 2020 inside Reliant, and it was pretty neat to see football with fans there in that beautiful black stadium, a good architecture design for that there. And, uh, yeah, likely going to see Raiders and – They're going to be joined by the A's and likely also by the Sacramento Kings. That's what a lot of experts are. They're in Vegas putting their money down on, and we'll find out if that ends up coming to fruition as we go forward. Now let's talk a little bit about the NBA since we're talking about the Oakland A's. A scoreboard check on Tuesday's game in the association as it's winding down its season and on May 11th, teams jockeying for precision uh, the, because the days are running out, frankly. If you're going to be one of those teams that have that chance to play in the play-in, you better win every single game you've got in front of you. And that's exactly what some teams took advantage of and some teams collapsed. One of those teams would be our own Charlotte Hornets. The Hornets are right there on the edge. They lost a home game to the Denver Nuggets, 117-112 to 112 on Tuesday the Timberwolves, they're not playoff bound, but they did get a win as they beat Detroit 119-100. to 
The Miami Heat looking good, a win over the Boston Celtics. I think these two teams played on Sunday, and here they are playing again on Tuesday. And the Heat with the win, 129-121. Clippers with an easy win over the Raptors, 115-96. The Pacers with a home win over the 76ers. The Brooklyn Nets topping the Bulls by 8, 115-107. The Memphis Grizzlies, they've been really needing to get the wins under their belt, and they did just that on Tuesday as they spanked the Dallas Mavericks 133-104. to The Milwaukee Bucks continuing to win. They've got 44 wins already to their total, and they got a victory on Tuesday over Orlando 114-102. Warriors and Seth Curry 122, and the Phoenix Suns 116 on Tuesday. Sacramento, 122, a win there, a 122-106 win over Oklahoma City. I don't know what's happened to the Thunder. They have really, really just gone in the opposite direction. There could be a coaching change there, and you might see Billy Donovan back coaching college basketball pretty soon if that trend continues, the losing trend in OKC. I think he's still the coach there. He might have already been fired for all we know. And then lastly, a game play that went into overtime a team needing to win, the New York Knicks, they did not win against the Lakers as L.A. won 101-99 on Tuesday. Your NBA scorecard, what's going on here on this 12th day of May. Wizards will be at State Farm Arena to take on the Hawks. The Nets host the Spurs. Celtics will be taking on the Cleveland Cavaliers. The Pels will be against the Dallas Mavericks at American Airlines Center on this Wednesday evening. The Trailblazers will be in Salt Lake to take on the Jazz. Rockets will be against the Lakers from Staples Center in Los Angeles. And as I said, looking at the standings of the NBA right now, you have the Heat also kind of with that win and their chance to get victories under their belt are right there in the middle of the Eastern Conference standings. The 76ers, Nets, Bucks are currently atop the Eastern Conference. Hawks, 38-31, a good job there here by the Atlanta Hawks in 2021. Following the Heat, you got the Knicks and Celtics. Then you've got the Hornets, Pacers, and Wizards. Those are your 10 teams as we sit that are above the line to get into either the playoffs or this play-in that they're having for the very first time. Teams with a shot but need to get something done pretty quickly include the Chicago Bulls. I think the Magic have been eliminated. Yeah, there's not enough games left, so – Yes, uh, Raptors also, it looks like, eliminated. That's a strange thing to see them, a team that won the NBA Finals not all that long ago. Western Conference, Jazz, Suns, Clippers, Nuggets, Trailblazers, and Mavericks all lead the Western Conference of the NBA, while the Lakers, Warriors, Grizzlies, Spurs, Pelicans, and Kings are jockeying for their final positions in these last couple of days before the season wraps up. Sad story from college football. You might remember Colt Brennan. He was Hawaii's quarterback some 15 years ago. Colt Brennan has died at the age of 37. His father told ESPN that his son died on Tuesday at a hospital in Newport Beach, California. And just the day before, paramedics were called to a hotel room where Colt Brennan had been with other people. And Terry Brennan said his son had ingested something laced with fentanyl and never regained consciousness. Only a couple hours before, Colt Brennan had tried to enter a detox program at an area hospital there in California, but he was turned away because there were no beds available there at that detox center. 
in California. And so this Hawaii Rainbow Warrior quarterback, Colt Brennan, who was skippering Hawaii back when they were going to the Sugar Bowl. In fact, he finished sixth in the Heisman voting in 2006 and third in 2007. That 2007 Hawaii team, coached by June Jones, finished the season 12-0, 10th in the Associated Press poll before going to the Sugar Bowl to take on Georgia, and they got beat pretty bad in that game. And Brennan was the QB. Never quite caught on in the NFL, and now sadly – this man who's not even reached his 40th birthday, dying in California, Colt Brennan. And that is a look at what's going on in the world of sports here across the South and beyond here on a Wednesday Y'all Show. Hang on, when we come back on the Y'all Show, we've got more information to pass along, and we'll have all that coming your way. It's Talk with a Southern Accent, and we are glad to sit here each and every day to give you all that you're looking for sports-wise, whether it be NFL, NBA, or more, it's y'all, and I'm John, and I promise you we're coming right back after this break. Stay tuned. Some 90s country, courtesy of the boys from the Bowery. This is Y'all. I'm John Rawl. Good to have you back in. We're, of course, presented by Y'all.com, the South's homepage. Check it out. Four little letters. Y-A-L-L.com. Check it out, and you'll see all kind of fun stuff there. And you'll just be so informed. And I'll tell you what, you'll feel smart. You know who's not smart, evidently? It's the president of the University of South Carolina, Bob Caslin. This is a retired lieutenant general from the United States Army who came under criticism when the board of trustees at USC, the one in Columbia, that is, offered him the job a couple of years ago. The woke culture wanted, I think, someone more diverse than a retired general to come in and lead the University of South Carolina. Well, he got the job, and he's been fighting hard to show how much he deserved the chance to lead this massive SEC school. Well, the president of the University of South Carolina, Bob Caslin, has offered to resign from the university all because of his commencement speech the other day. Now, I'd like to defend President-slash-General Bob Caslin, but let me just go ahead and say it. What a freaking idiot! What an idiot. And and why am I saying this here on the y'all show, calling out a university president 
because of his commencement speech. It, I think it was the first one he's ever given to USC. He's been on the job there for a couple of years now. But last year, of course, commencements everywhere were shut down because of the coronavirus. His commencement speech, he did two major faux pas, okay? One thing he did that you should never do, especially if you're a university president, is he plagiarized. He actually lifted a quote from a fellow military man. Admiral William McRaven gave a famous speech that ended up getting turned into a book a couple of years ago. And General Caslin, now President Bob Caslin, lifted that quote from Admiral McRaven and didn't cite it in his speech. And this is a fairly known, I mean, how often does a commencement speaker do such a good job, especially if they're not that famous, and it get turned into some kind of book and whole nother career? Well, that's what happened for McRaven. And Caslin, he lifted that quote. That means he stole it and put it in his own speech and didn't give attribution is what we say in the biz. That's pretty dumb, don't you think? That's not as dumb as the other thing he did during his commencement speech. Again, to the graduates of the University of South Carolina, it's your own president. And at USC, Columbia, they have, I know a lot of colleges have like this board and that commission and all these other, this guy's like the boss. Everybody knows who the president is if you go to that college. It's not like they have a president and a chancellor and a provost. They probably have all those things. This is the celebrity. This is the number one guy. He gets to help hire the football coach. That's how powerful he is. And we'll see how good he did with picking Shane Beamer to be the Gamecocks coach here in a couple of months. So, okay, he he stole a portion of a speech in his commencement address. And if I had to guess, this guy's background was serving in the Army. I doubt he's given too many commencement addresses in his lifetime. That's not a defense. That means that when he gives his first one to a college that he's the head of, it ought to, let's use a military term, it ought to be like fighting a skirmish for someone like him. It ought to be so easy that a first lieutenant could go out there and lead the charge instead of a lieutenant general. So epic fail there. Epic fail number two for Bob Caslin during his commencement address at the University of South Carolina. He congratulated the graduates at the University of South Carolina by telling them congratulations to those at the University of California. Not South Carolina. He is the head of the University of South Carolina, and in his own commencement speech, he congratulated the graduates of the University of California. I mean, at least if he would have said the University of Southern California, he would have been right on the USC part. Uh, I don't know if this guy's on drugs or what. So he offered his resignation. The chairman of the University of South Carolina Board of Trustees did not accept his resignation, according to a university spokesperson. So he's still working there. The president has apologized. He said he owes the students some push-ups. I think that and a whole lot more. I mean, this is really embarrassing. 
Caslin also said, if I don't have the confidence and trust of the board, and if I don't have the confidence, confidence and trust of the public, I have ensured the board that I would submit my resignation. But the board says, you can still stay here. I don't know if something's going on. I mean, he might have had a medical issue or something, but to screw up the name of your own college by not even coming close. Let me tell you, as a guy who knows a lot about South Carolina, I was born about one mile away from the University of South Carolina campus. It ain't nothing like California, okay? So I don't see how he could have confused the two, but he sure did, and he's apologized. So we will see see where this leads us. Uh, and by the way, Admiral McRaven's speech that Caslin stole from this nearly identical speech that McRaven gave years ago that Caslin used this past weekend was originally given to graduates of the University of Texas in 2014. So he put out a statement. He says, I'm truly sorry. During my remarks in our weekend commencement ceremonies, I shared a well-known quote from Admiral William McRaven and failed to cite him as its original author and speaker. I am searching for words about resilience and adversity, and when they were transcribed into the speech, I failed to ensure its attribution. I take full responsibility for this oversight. I sincerely apologize to Admiral McRaven, someone I know and respect, our graduates, their families, and the entire university community for not leading by example. I guess I should give the quote. This is from 2014 Admiral McRaven to the University of Texas. I'll try to get my best commencement speech going here. Um, Know that life is not fair and that you will fail often. But if take you, but if take (laughs) this quote here in this uh, article is not correct English. It's not me. I'm not citing anybody but bad grammar here. And I don't think the admiral put this. Let me clear this up. Uh, Let me start over. Know that life is not fair and that you will fail often. But if you take some risk, step up when the times are toughest, face down the bullies, lift up the downtrodden, and never, ever give up. If you do these things, then the next generation and the generations that follow will live in a world far better than one we have today. And what started here will indeed have changed the world for the better. Okay, that was the original McRaven quote from 2014. So it is the time of year when hopefully commencement speakers' speeches and speakers aren't exactly lifting from other commencement speakers. I have an article out by Forbes that does list some of the 2021 commencement speakers, and I'll try to share a few of those as we close up this. And some of these commencement speakers are doing it virtually. That's not quite the same. You need to be there and look at those graduates in the eyes and say, you're in trouble now, buddy. You're going to have to go out and start working every single day. The great Dr. Anthony Fauci is a very busy guy for commencement speakers here in May of 2021. He's already booked to speak at Emory University, and he's doing that virtually, speaking virtually at the University of North Carolina. And he also, I think, has another one, but I don't have the school down. Oh, yeah, he's speaking at Vanderbilt University, if he hasn't done that already. Anthony Fauci. That'll put you to sleep if you're there at commencement in Nashville. Uh, He also will give the address of the Yale School of Public Health commencement. Anthony Fauci. Some of those are virtual 
some he could be showing up in person. Will he be wearing a mask is the real question. Civil rights lawyer Brian Stevenson is busy. He's going to be speaking at Tufts University in May and to MIT's graduates in the month of June. He's been scheduled for the University of Michigan's virtual commencement and for the University of California Berkeley Law graduation. Brian Stevenson. Now, I don't know who this guy is. I better do a little crack research on this commencement speaker myself so I can tell you who Brian Stevenson is. American lawyer Brian Stevenson. Let's see if he has a connection to the good old Southland. Eh, pretty close. He is from Milton, Delaware, which I think is almost to Maryland. He initiated the National Memorial for Peace and Justice in Montgomery, Alabama, so he's got a connection to the South there. But Brian Stevenson is 61 years old. He's a lawyer, social justice activist, and founder and executive director of the Equal Justice Initiative and is a law professor at NYU School of Law. It's probably why I've never heard of this guy, but he's making some change as a graduation speaker in 2021. Hey, it's America. You can go out and make big money. Just don't do it like the President Caslin at South Carolina and, and steal from others, okay? Let's see here. Who else we got here? Mm, Twyla Tharp. Are you all familiar with who Twyla Tharp is? She's going to be a commencement speaker, speaker at the University of Michigan Rackham Graduate School. She is a world-renowned choreographer and dancer. The Do you know who the current U.S. Poet Laureate is. It's Joy Harjo. She's the nation's 23rd Poet Laureate. She's delivering the address at Smith College's commencement. And I get confused. This is this is sad for me to admit this. I don't know where Smith College is. Is that in the South? I know there's a couple of women's colleges in North Carolina that... Uh, Smith College is in Northampton, Massachusetts. I think it's Meredith College is in Raleigh. And there's a couple of other women's colleges in the Raleigh area. And I apologize for all of us, our listeners in that area, and all you Meredith College and Smith College alumni that I didn't know where that particular school is. I do know where Prairie View A&M is. That's in Texas. And the president of PV A&M is Dr. Ruth Simmons. And Dr. Simmons is going to be the speaker at Harvard's virtual commencement. Yes, She's president emerita of both Brown University and Smith College, but currently president of Prairie View A&M. I just talked about Smith College. Smith College all up here today. Regent University is going to have former Secretary of State Mike Pompeo as its 41st commencement ceremony keynote speaker. I wonder if they are still going through that. This article may be a little dated, so let me see if they haven't gotten woke and kicked out Mike Pompeo. Uh, I'd like to hear him, what he has to say. I don't think he has been quite so eager to get in front of a TV camera and, and talk, although I have seen some interviews with him. Let's see. Regent is based in Virginia Beach, Virginia, and he did speak. He spoke last weekend is when Pompeo, he warned Regent grads of a growing threat to religious freedom, that from Mike Pompeo when he spoke last weekend in Virginia. So good for Regent for not backing out of the contract to have him speak. And then a civil rights figure, Ruby Bridges, is going to be 
the virtual commencement speaker this year at Tulane University in New Orleans. Now, Ruby Bridges is a civil rights figure who was the youngest child among a group of black students to first integrate the public schools in New Orleans. I think that goes back to the 1950s when that happened. Speaking of civil rights and trailblazers, May Jemison will deliver High Point University in North Carolina's commencement address. Jemison is a physician, an engineer, and a former NASA astronaut, the first black woman to travel into space aboard the Space Shuttle Endeavor. May Jemison speaking in High Point at High Point University. And uh, let's see here. Is there anybody else worth pointing out here? Eh, probably not. Let me do take the opportunity here, speaking of commencement speakers and such, to con- to once again congratulate all of our, our new college graduates, our high school graduates. I'm starting to hear on radio stations across the region. Local radio stations give a shout-out to the new college or new high school graduates. And it's a special time, especially on those real local-type radio stations that start having the kids' names mentioned. And some of them I've actually heard the uh, person, the own, I guess, high school graduate saying, hey, this is John, and I'm a graduate, and this is what I'm going to do next, kind of like what they might do at their church where they're recognized for graduation. But, uh, yes, congratulations. Now get your work clothes on and get out there and work for the next 70 years. Or many of you will figure out pretty soon there's something called the government that can help you out. And uh, if you can find a way to stay on unemployment for a while, like for months and months and years, then that might be your career path. Although some southern states are already announcing right now that the federal $300 stipend for the coronavirus is going away if it hasn't already pretty soon. So that might not be the best career path, choosing to go on the government route, if you will. But congratulations again both to the college and high school recipients of degrees here in 2021. It's not been the easiest of things to weather a pandemic and get your education. And you've done it. And for some of you, you'll have a pretty – maybe big day and commencement speakers like Fauci and Pompeo and Jemison and more will be there to say add a boy add a girl and we're saying it right now on the y'all show way to go congratulations we got one more segment left here in today's y'all show we'll wrap it up after this talk with a southern accent way to go we'll be right back
We are at the end of this Wednesday show. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Y'all Show with John Rawl. Been a pleasure. We'll be right back here in the saddle on Thursday with more Southern fun. We'll be talking with Birds and Flying Burrito Brothers and Desert Rose Band member Chris Hillman. He's got a great new book out, and it talks about his more than 60 years making great music. And we're going to have a fun discussion with Chris Hillman, American music icon. And that'll be on the Thursday Y'all Show. We'll also get an update on all things country music from Nashville. So tune in for the fun there. Our SEC report will be delivered as well on Thursday. And in that report, we'll share with you the SEC's best burger joints. Oh, that'll be delicious. All that plus what's going on with the gas prices and gas supply around the Southland. All on the Thursday Y'all Show. Have a great rest of your day. Thank you for listening to Talk with a Southern Accent. Yeah.